I found a new book that I really like. My title came from that book. Um, it's called Rooted. Life at the Crossroads of Science, Nature, and Spirit. It's by Leanda Lynn Haupt, who some of you might know because she wrote Mozart's Starling, which I've been told I should read, but I haven't. But I read this book. And she talks about taking off your shoes and walking barefoot on the earth. But she also talks about the Moses story that we usually translate as take off your shoes. But um, Hebrew scholars apparently say, shed your shoes. And Haupt makes the point that perhaps we don't take off our shoes in recognition that we are on holy ground, but we take off our shoes so that we know we are on holy ground. And I thought, well, this would be better if we were having church outside under a tree. <laughs> but, you know, we are part of nature, and the things we make come from us and from nature. And so this floor, even this floor, is holy ground. And I don't know, something happened this week. Um, and this sermon was not what I thought it was going to be a week ago. Um, I know it's Mother's Day, and I didn't know what the, this was. Oh, maybe Mother's Day and the earth. I was going to talk about the earth. And then the Supreme Court thing happened. And I'm a mother. And I'm a mother of a girl, too, a, a woman now, um, or sort of on her way to being. Um, and this, is, this has been heavy. I, I never actually thought I would actually talk about abortion in, in church. Um, and I have to say thank you, Austin. I hadn't decided whether I was going to do this before I got here. And you played Billy Joel. And that took me back to the cafeteria in high school where I was the Catholic schoolgirl. It was an all-girls Catholic school. We were wearing the plaid skirts and the saddle shoes and the white button-down blouses. And we were in the, in the corner of the cafeteria playing only the good die young to each other. <laughs> um, so I grew up Catholic, and I was Catholic for a long time. And uh, the biggest problem I have with the abortion conversation we have in our culture is the terminology we use, that pro-life means not acknowledging the holiness of everyone's bodies and the power of women's bodies and women's selves. <sighs> I want to say I'm pro-life and I'm pro-choice. Choice is a good thing. Agency is part of what makes us human and alive. And so is life. And so is being creators of life and bearers of life and nurturers of life. And every life ends somewhere, just like every life starts somewhere. And sometimes we don't know where that is. <sighs> And nature ends many pregnancies, <laughs> irrespective of our choices. And all of this is holy, all of it. And so I come back to the title I wanted to start with was, I am here. And um, Haupt gave me this. She shared that uh, she has a friend who's a Benedictine. 
um, so a, a monk in an old, Catholic, old, old, old Roman Catholic tradition of monasticism who told her about the vows he took. And these are vows to um, community and to of, of, of dedication to a life of contemplation and spiritual growth. And in the Benedictine, not in all monastic traditions, but in the Benedictine tradition, you also take a vow of stability, which means you will stay with that community in that place. So these are complicated vows. These are sort of overwhelming vows. But the traditional answer, as Haupt reports it anyway, is the Latin adsum, which translates to I am here. So will you do this and will you do that and will you be devoted to this and do you commit your life to these big things that feel perhaps difficult and, well, they are difficult. Um, the answer isn't yes. <laughs> the answer is I am here. I am here. I am here. And, and we often, I think, don't pay attention to place enough. I know, for example, as a UU minister, I feel a certain amount of pressure to leave Nashville because the good jobs aren't here, they, or the just enough jobs aren't here for all the ministers around. And so there's, from people, colleagues I know who don't live in Tennessee, I get sort of the expectation that, of course, I will pick up and move somewhere, you know, as, as a young, you know, young meaning new, not chronologically young, minister, that, that I will go and, you know, spend five, seven years somewhere and then go somewhere else. And, and I'm like, um, well, wait a minute. <laughs> I live in Tennessee. I live here. And um, I grew up in the military, besides being Catholic. Um, but we moved, and we moved a lot when I was in high school, specifically. So by the time I got here to Tennessee as an adult, just after college graduation, I was kind of ready to stay for a while. And then I sort of found like, oh, I was ready to move every three or four years, which is what we did when I was growing up. And I sort of just waited that out. And now I'm at this place where like, this is where I live. My family's not here, but this is where I live. They live somewhere I've never actually lived because we were in the military while I was growing up. So I live here. And when I say my family, I mean my family of origin. <laughs> my chosen family, the family I married and, and uh, raised and bore and all that, they're here. But I, f I find even, I'm attached to the yard outside our house. I'm attached to our house. But I have this amazing wedge-shaped, not quite an acre, in a part of Nashville where most of the yards aren't that big. And it's because we have a hill and we have a cave in that hillside and we have a little stream coming out of that cave. So it's a wildlife corridor, really. It's a miniature urban version of a wildlife corridor. But we have every now and then some turkeys. We always have owls. We always have crows. We always have all kinds of birds, songbirds and other birds and woodpeckers. and. Lots of insects because we're like the only place in the neighborhood that doesn't spray for mosquitoes. And <laughs> lots of good soil because the hillsides are hard to mow and the leaves just get left there. And um, I feel called to steward that. You know, the developers will come in and do something else with that hillside, I'm sure, if we wanted that. Um, but, and, 
That's a surprise to me. It's not where I've always lived. It's where I've lived for 12 years. Um, but I'm not supposed to leave that. Not yet, anyway. Not now. That's, that's holy space. And it's not holy just to me. It's, it's holy. And I'm the caretaker, or one of the caretakers of it. Actually, my, my, my spouse, my dear sweet David, takes care of most of it. Um, But um, this book has kind of convinced me that in many ways we have tried to disconnect ourselves from that, especially Americans. We do that. We see ourselves as portable, mobile. You pick up, you leave, you move to do this, to do that, to take jobs. Um, and I'm not opposed to any of that. That's often really good. And I did some of that. Um, but we also, sometimes we don't, we don't know the land where we live. So I've, I've lately been hearing various voices saying to me, so what would it be to pay attention to where you are? What would it be to walk barefoot on the ground where you live? What would it be to see the trees? What would it be to know the beneathness that more than half of the tree lives in? You know, what's under that ground? Uh, and to come back around to abortion, what, what would it be to know ourselves as bodies? It's becoming increasingly clear that, that um, just like we've had very mechanistic, non-spirited, non-inspirited views of the world around us, we have of our own bodies too. We think of, oh, there's all these systems. We talk about, you know, there's the muscle, the system of muscles, there's the skeletal system, there's the digestive system, there's the nervous system, there's, the, you know, we have all, it's like we're, oh, like, like we're, they're all cogs in machines, right? Well, it turns out it's not that neat. <laughs> and there's, there are other living creatures who have their own uh, names, their own um, biological Latin names, who are their own thing, that live inside us, <laughs> which creeps a lot of us out, but it's also just, it, well, it, it's just what is. It's what is. These bodies are amazing and complicated and tied to the rest of the earth in ways we are just starting to see. And because we are Unitarian Universalists. I have to come back to our principles. And those of you who've heard me before know that I, I will often say I'm a seventh principle, UU. That belonging to the web of all existence is a big part of what drew me into this faith, but also just how I understand myself and understand life and understand our being together. Um, so I ran across just this week somewhere this quote by Herman Melville who wrote Moby Dick. He says this, we cannot live only for ourselves. A thousand fibers connect us with our fellow men. This is a nice sentiment, it's a nice 19th century, you know, kind of thing. And I want to like push it and go, well, he forgot we're not all men. <laughs> He forgot we're not all human. He forgot we're not all living. But if you want to just expand that a little bit, 
a thousand fibers, and more than a thousand, a thousand is a low estimate. So many fibers connect us with all that exists, all beings, all the rocks, all the mountains, all the rivers, all of that, we're connected. It's all connected. So, and I'm sorry, you're kind of getting the rough draft here, and I apologize for that. Um, I wonder sometimes if we don't, actually I know, we overemphasize certain parts of human experience. They tend to be the parts that happen, or we think they happen, anyway, we think they happen in our heads. The thinking, the intellecting, the making choices, and I don't, I don't want to downplay making choices, except sometimes I do, because that word always, in our culture, tends to get put into dual forms, this or that, choice or life. And I'm like, no, all of it. And often, if, you, if lots of people who know me get, I don't know if they get frustrated, they usually roll with it. But people come to me and say, well, so would you like this or would you like that? And I'll say, yes, please. <laughs> you know? Or, so is this important or is that important? Yes. They are both, I, I'm, I'm a both and kind of person. And when we focus on choice and when we put agency always in the terms of choice, it leads us often to that judgmental mindset that is so difficult and tricky that where, anyway, for myself in my history, I recognize that I've gotten caught in needing to not just make a good enough choice, but make the best choice. You know, okay, maybe there's two or three possible okay choices, but it's important to me to analyze that to death to find the best right choice. Um, and that, I don't know, that seems like it probably wasted a lot of time in the, the parts of my life where I had to do that so much. And it, it leads us to judge some things as right and some things as wrong, some things as good and some things as bad. I'm starting to wonder, you know, it was for, for decades, I think, just taken for granted that parenting, for example, was about teaching people right from wrong. And I kind of wonder about that now. Is it really? I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't think I parented that way, but I should ask my children. They're, they're old enough to probably give me a good answer now. Um, I don't think it is. I don't think it is. I, I think instead of needing to know right from wrong, good from bad, we need to know how to see, how to hear, how to feel, how to know what is true in ourselves and around us. In the things, how, the ways we are connected and what, what is happening with all the, the people, the beings, the rocks, the mountains, the rivers to which I am connected. And we're not used to thinking that way. But I, th I think this is what, you know, there's that Mary Oliver poem about wild geese that we like a lot, we quote from it. And she says, you do not have to be good. You do not. She says, you only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. And I think we think, oh, that's really nice. 
And okay, now I need to decide what to do next. <laughs> um, she says, you don't, you, do, you, don't, you don't have to be good. Whoever you are, you have a place. You belong. She talks about the, she, the, the wild geese flying overhead, honking, announcing your place in the family of things. That's that poem. And I think, you know, um, what would it be to live that way? Uh, I had a calendar sometime when I, in my 20s, before I was married, before I was a mother. And one month, the picture, there was a, it was the, the Syracuse cultural workers. So it was like fun art and then, you know, quotations. And I don't know who the quotation was from or if it was just, I don't know where they got it. But it, it said something, it was about, it said women are the doors or the doorways. Through us come life or doesn't come life. It didn't say that, but that was clearly the implication. And at that point, I was still a, a Roman Catholic young woman. And um, I've always I've always struggled with the abortion thing because I I I'm deeply informed and appreciative of the values I grew up with, and I do think I think life is amazing, and I think that an embryo is is life. It's alive, and it's not genetically the mother or the father. I don't, I can't quite say it's a person because it's so not ready yet. <laughs> but I can't just, I, I cannot say abortion is okay because this is not a human life. Which does not mean I don't think abortion is a choice that needs to be made sometimes. Um, but I've, but I've always struggled with that, and I've always been unsatisfied with the, cult, the cultural conversation we have about abortion. Um, and I think we don't allow people, well, to recognize the power of women in that conversation. We're, we're the door. Whether new life comes or not depends on me and my body, and not just my will, but also just the strength and the power and the nourishment of my body providing power and strength and nourishment to a new body so that it can come out and do its thing in living on this planet. And when we take away my ability to say, I'm the door and I, I, I open or close, and sometimes under some circumstances, I can make a choice one way or another then we, we diminish all of us. We diminish what it means to be human, I think. And we definitely try to keep women in their place, which is a project I've just never, ever been on board with. I am not here for that. <laughs> I'm here for a lot of things, but not for that. So that I think certain habits of thinking that we have in our culture and they all kind of fit under that big umbrella that sometimes gets labeled white supremacy thinking, which I find really helpful. You've heard me mention it before. Not because it needs to make us guilty, but because it describes a system of thinking and being in the world that really gets in our way and limits what we can do in interacting with the world and, and limits our own power and our own freedom, um, no matter who we are, no matter which side of the supremacy and privilege 
equations were on. So what would it be instead to live rooted, to live in our bodies and in the world instead of in our heads and instead of looking for right and wrong everywhere? And uh, Haupt says, rooted lives are radically intertwined with the ability, the vitality rather of the planet in a time that evokes fear and paralysis rooted ways of being within nature assure us that we are grounded in the natural world so we are here in the natural world this is part of who we are and she is she has all these interesting interesting chapters i'm not going to tell you everything she says one of the things i really like she talked about forest bathing shinyin roku the japanese practice um, and she's a little worried. She's generally, yeah, going out in the forest is a good thing. She recommends it, especially if you can go barefoot. Um, but she also sees in the movement toward forest bathing sort of a commodification of the forest and of being in nature. You do it for the sake of your health. And yes, it is good for your health. Um, and she's in favor of it. Um, but she says, eh, maybe not. And then so some people think, well, going out in nature helps because nature is so calm and peaceful. And then she makes this move I've never seen anybody else do. And she says, I, I don't know that there's any science at all to support this, but when I go out in nature, what I actually observe is that nature's kind of anxious about things too, because everything that is alive always lives with the possibility of death and the threat of death. Or, or injury, and it's, so it is, it is reassuring to know that we are not alone, <laughs> that the beings in the rest of existence are as anxious and vulnerable as we are. And that's like, oh, it's, it's again, we're being held. We are part of something bigger than we are. And I find that really helpful. I also find helpful the suggestion that she makes that perhaps we, we've often thought about needing to go out and see things, observe things, and Mary Oliver says this at some place, just pay attention and then tell people. And Haupt says maybe just the beholding, the being willing to be, to see, to hear, to feel what is around us, to um, keep company with a tree or to sit still long enough that the birds start to know you as the person who sits still and doesn't move so that they'll come closer and you get to know them. Uh, maybe beholding is what, she doesn't say what we're for, but I'll say it. Maybe, maybe beholding is part of what we're here for. Um, and of course she has, she has wonderful, wonderful things to say about Sarl, uh, Carl Sagan's uh, you know, we are star stuff thing, which you all hear, hear me say that all the time too. Um, I didn't know that he was mocked for saying that over and over again, but I guess I'm worthy of mockery then too, because I will say that over and over again. We are star stuff. Um, she says, um, this was a beautiful. So she says, oxygen and carbon and hydrogen, actually she writes it out as an equation. Oxygen plus carbon, plus hydrogen, plus nitrogen, plus calcium, plus phosphorus, plus potassium, 
plus sulfur plus sodium plus chlorine plus magnesium equals star human. And then this sentence kills me. The stuff of the cosmos is woven into our bone branches and wanders in our blood rivers. Isn't that? And when we die, we go back to all that. Except we never were apart. You know? uh, she has also another great chapter. She describes what happens with your body when you're dead, if you don't get all embalmed and closed up in a coffin and stuff. It's really interesting. <laughs> um, so all of this is to say that where we are is holy, and who we are is holy. And I'm finding, for me, it connects really terribly clearly to what has happened this week with the leak from the Supreme Court and people's reactions to it. If you haven't seen what Side with Love, which is um, the Unitarian, one of the Unitarian Universalist agencies that works for justice in the public square, what they've had to say, they sent a letter out earlier this week. Um, saying much of the same things I've said. Our bodies and our autonomy over our bodies are sacred. The choices we make about our bodies are sacred. Um, in Religion Dispatches, I found an article responding to the abortion news, but also to a lot of the recent news about um, laws and legislation around trans bodies and children and families and LGBTQ things, issues generally. Um, and she stresses, Jackie Lewis, this is, stresses that our liberation is collective. Let me read this paragraph. Liberation is collective. This means that no person is free while their neighbor is shackled. And it also means that we will never break those chains without a universal and reflexive commitment to one another's thriving. Abortion rights and gender care help people achieve the fullness of who they know they're called to be. And we don't need to choose and prioritize whose freedoms matter most. That's a lie to make us fight among ourselves instead of seizing the power we could wield. I'd never heard this call for a universal and reflexive commitment to one another's thriving. I think we shy away from saying we are called to care that everything thrives because we know my individually, or even in groups, like this small group here, I cannot, we cannot address everything. We can't in any sense control the well-being, the thriving of everything. So I think it feels too big and we all the time start limiting ourselves. Well, we're gonna care about this and we're gonna prioritize. We're gonna care first about this and then we're gonna argue with people who prioritize something else first. And this I find really clear and really helpful. What we need to break the chains that are in the way of our liberation, for every, everyone's liberation, everything's liberation, I'm going to say, is a universal and reflexive commitment to one another's thriving, which I take to mean we don't, we don't ask, do I care about this or not? 
and we don't even think about it. That's a, the, what I take the reflexive to mean. It means it's automatic. It's a reflex. Um, I, there is pain. There is suffering. I would like it to be gone. I don't, want, I don't accept it as okay, which doesn't mean I can make it go away, which doesn't mean I have that power. Um, but to stand in solidarity with everything, to know that I am rooted in a thousand fibers, connect me. And literally, there are fibers everywhere. I read somewhere in this book again, I've, I've read about mycelia and how they connect all the trees and do really weird and interesting communications thing. But you know, th these mycelia, if I'm pronouncing that right, am I? Yeah. Yay, mycelia. Um, they, they're really, really, really tiny and they all mat up in tiny little networks and bundles and stuff. So in a square inch, which is barely any bigger than the tip of my thumb, there's, I read, if you, could, if you could stretch them all out, a mile of mycelia right there. And so every time you take a step, you're walking over, I don't know how many miles, <laughs> thousands, billions, I don't know, of mycelial networks. They're just, they're there. The planet would not exist without them. And oh, the trees, of course, the trees. We should all be thinking more about trees than we do, I think. And we are all, and this is the earth, to think about human problems and economic injustice, in, in, inequities in work and in pay and in support systems and healthcare, none of that competes really with taking care of the planet. If we use up our resources, the plant, it's not just the planet that gets destroyed, it's us. And that's getting clearer and clearer to all of us all the time. If we tell people they're not safe to feel what they feel and make choices that help them live in their own bodies with integrity, we're all going to suffer from that. We all do suffer from that. Um, if you parent in a way that doesn't treat the little people as real, honest-to-goodness people, you're going to suffer. <laughs> you are. They're at least going to go through teenagerdom in a way that's going to be really hard. <laughs> um, and they might, even if you do everything right, too, I should say that. <laughs> even if you could do everything right. See there, I'm falling into right and wrong. So how, how do we get more rooted? And I don't know. The only thing I could think of to do this today was take my shoes off. Um, but maybe go and, and see where in your life you can grow those reflexive habits of caring for the well-being, the thrive, not just, not just the okayness, but the thriving of your fellow beings. Um, and by beings, I don't necessarily just mean the living ones, because we're finding that's kind of, we, you know, we've divided things up, we've categorized them, and we're, we keep finding exceptions to our categories. So anything that is, how do, you, how do you find and feel and experience and behold and, and cherish your connection with that? And, and how do you let yourself be cradled in that everything else-ness of which you are a part? And it's one of the, what Haupt is trying to build a case for in her whole book is that it's, it's in knowing that we are connected 
and held that way, that we have the whatever it is it takes to do something, to act, to choose something. So I recommend the book. Um, and I don't know where this whole Supreme Court thing goes. It doesn't, our legislators aren't reflexively <laughs> seeking to support the thriving of everyone these days. And I, um, I don't know everything we need to do. I know some things. So, but, but we're watching. How can, how can we support the thriving of, of trans youth? How can we support the thriving of, of overwhelmed mothers and fathers? And um, yeah, you know, the birds and the bumblebees, the bees are dying too, and we're gonna be really sorry, because there are other pollinators, but we do a number on them too. The moths, they're, they're getting confused. They're great pollinators too. They're getting confused because we have too much light on all the time. There's, so <laughs> what can you do? But first, remember, you don't have to be good. You just have to be here. I am here. I should have looked up how to say we are here in Latin. Anybody know? Oh well, lost opportunity. I want to leave you with a blessing written by Rebecca Ann Parker. And this one is framed in terms of choice. Um, but try to think of it a little broader, perhaps. This is from um, her book, Blessing the World. And it's a benediction she wrote at the end of it. And I'm, I'm going to just read part of it. Your gifts, whatever you discover them to be, can be used to bless or curse the world. Choose to bless the world. The choice to bless the world is more than an act of will, a moving forward into the world with the intention to do good. It is an act of recognition, a confession of surprise, a grateful acknowledgement that in the midst of a broken world, unspeakable beauty, grace, and mystery abide. There is an embrace of kindness that encompasses all life, even yours. And while there is injustice, anesthetization, or evil, there moves a holy disturbance, a benevolent rage, a revolutionary love, protesting, urging, insisting that which is sacred will not be defiled. Those who bless the world live their life as a gesture of thanks for this beauty and this rage. Friends, beloveds, let's all go forth and give thanks for beauty and let's find some rage. <laughs>